So if you want to find uh, the book of Luke in your Bible, uh, Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke is in the, the New Testament, so if you open up your Bible and flick about two-thirds of the way through, you should find it, or just Google it on your phone, and uh, you will find it there. Before we get into the passage, I just want to recommend a book to you. Uh, this is a really, really short book. You probably can't see it, or can't see the title anyway. It's called Unbreakable, Unbreakable, What the Word of God Said About, What the Son of God Said About the Word of God by Andrew Wilson. And this is about 60, 70 pages long, and uh, it's got a big font as well. It's not like a really tiny font. So you could read this in, uh, in a few hours um, over a cup of coffee. It won't take you long at all. But it's a wonderful God to help a wonderful book to help you understand how to read the Bible um, and what the Bible says about who Jesus is. So I'd warmly encourage you to get hold of this if you can. And uh, I'm going to quote from it a little bit later on. Uh, So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to read from verse 13 through to verse 35, so it's quite a long passage, but stick with me, it will do you good. It says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went With them. If you've not been following us in the last few weeks, where they said they were talking about everything that had been happening, uh, this is post Jesus' death and resurrection. So, this is the afternoon of the same day that Jesus had risen from the grave. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, 
for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we now, in light of this wonderful story, in light of all the good news we know about your death and resurrection, that we can join in that same proclamation, that same declaration of joy that you are risen indeed. And that is wonderful good news for us. We pray as we look at this passage today that you would open our eyes, that our hearts would burn within us of the good news of who you are and your wonderful works for us. Holy Spirit, we pray be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What we discover in this story is it's a story that seems very familiar, very normal. It's just this couple, Cleopas, and whoever was with him, we don't know who it was, maybe even his wife, they're taking a walk and they're discussing. They're trying to make sense of the world, trying to make sense of what's just happened to them, all these experiences they've watched on, this journey of a few years of Jesus teaching them all these things and then his death and his rumoured resurrection. They're trying to put all these different pieces of this story together and they're confused. They're searching for, for some meaning. They're searching for some kind of grand narrative, a big story to hold all of this together. And all of us in many ways, whether you're watching this and you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've just stumbled across us today, maybe you're not sure about what you think about Jesus. All of us spend our lives searching for a sense of, of narrative, of, of a story, a story for our own lives, a story to help us understand all the different events that happen to us. A story that helps us understand the world all the time. If you, if you watch the news, if you look on social media all the time, people are trying to place the big events of the world into some kind of narrative, some story that makes sense of everything, a way that we can understand the world, a way that we can navigate through what sometimes seems like chaos around us. We use this idea of story to, to try and give us a sense of stability the author, Joan Didion, she wrote a book of short stories called We Tell Ourselves Stories in Order to Live. And all the time we tell ourselves, we tell our own hearts stories to try and hold life together. But occasionally you hit upon a certain thing that happens that just comes out of the blue that doesn't, it doesn't fit within the story, it doesn't fit within the narrative. You don't know where to place it. You don't know how, how this fits in. It doesn't seem to make any sense. 
Perhaps the last year of this COVID coronavirus has felt like that to you. It just doesn't make sense. The story that you'd written for your life, the things that you were going to achieve and accomplish, where you wanted to go, the sort of career you wanted to do, how you were going to study, the friends you were going to make, the relationships you were going to enjoy, all of a sudden it's postponed, delayed, cancelled. What's happened to this story that you were trying to write? And the, I guess the postmodern way of viewing things would just be to say, just resign yourself to the chaos. Nothing really makes sense anyway, so just, just enjoy life, each experience as it comes. Don't try and hold it all together. Just resign yourself to the fact that the world is chaotic, that it doesn't make any sense. Or perhaps that's a little bit what's happening for Cleopas and his friend as they're walking discussing this they say in verse 21 we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel we had hoped all of us carry hopes dreams in our stories things that we want to see happen and then when those things are postponed cancelled, delayed we wonder what's going on it says Jesus finds them and it says that they stood still looking sad <laughs> perhaps that reads as one of the more pathetic verses in the Bible they stood still looking sad but in many ways that might sum up the last year for you that your life which was running at such a pace suddenly was stood still everything was paused and slowly you've been overwhelmed by a sense of grief for the things you've lost sadness for the things you hoped you'd get that you haven't received and like the disciples here in this story you're just left trying to make sense of things trying to make sense of all how this all holds together so when Jesus asks them what's going on Cleopas he tells them the story this is what we were discussing these are all the things that have happened how do we make sense of this all and Jesus Jesus answers in a really wonderful way. Because I think if I was Jesus, and we should all be very grateful that I'm not, but if I was Jesus in this story, I'd make some kind of dramatic, evidence, uh, dramatic entrance. I'd say, it's me. Hey, this person you've been talking about, look, it's me. Don't worry. The hero's here to save everything. But Jesus doesn't do that. They don't recognize him at first. And he leaves it till really late in this story. He spent, seems like, all of the afternoon, he, this was a long walk to this village they were going to, and then back to their home. He spent hours with them. And it's not until he's at the table breaking bread with them, they suddenly see who he is. Why does he not reveal himself? Why, why is this all shrouded in mystery? It's because he doesn't, I think Jesus doesn't want them to miss what he wants to communicate to them. See, the pinnacle of this story you find in verses 25 and 27 where Jesus he sort of rebukes them oh foolish ones and then he says beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself what it means by Moses and all the prophets is it basically he went back through the Hebrew Bible 
the word of God as they understood it. And he went through all of it and said, look, this is what it really means. This is at the heart of this book, the Bible, the word of God. This is what it's all about. He brings it to life for them. And he, he doesn't want to reveal himself too soon because he, he doesn't want them to miss the wonderful power that's in this story, that's in this book that maybe you've got sitting in your hands or in your lap right now or that you're reading on your phone. See, when we want to try and make sense of the world, the first place that I'd encourage you to run to you is, run to is, is this book. That might not seem to make any sense. It doesn't, doesn't seem to have any, any kind of commentary or analysis on the latest news events. But here is, this is, this is the word of life. This is the bread, the food for your soul. This book has the answers. This is how you'll make sense of not what's, only what's happening in the world around you, but of your own life as well. It's very popular to think, oh, the Bible's just, it's just outdated. You know, there might be some kind of pearls of wisdom hidden away in here somewhere, but it's really, it's an ancient book full of old truths that yeah, I'm not really sure if it's relevant to our life today. This book is the most up-to-date truth you'll ever come across. To all around you, there are things masquerading, pretending to be true. Social media is full of nuggets of supposed truth. Most of it, even if it is true, is, is very temporary. Fads and ideas, zeitgeist that come and go. Here you find lasting truth to build your life on. The Dutch theologian Herman Bavinck said about the Bible that it is old without ever becoming obsolete. It always remains young and fresh. It is the word of life. The word of God endures forever. This book will always remain young and fresh. Will do good to you. Will feed your soul. The English Bible translator J.B. Phillips, who about 70, 80 years ago got stuck into the original Greek and Hebrew writings of the Bible and tried to translate it into modern English. And he said about that process that it was like an electrician trying to rewire an old house but with the live current still switched on. It's like a man trying to, you know, when you try and change the light bulb but the light switch is still on, you go, whoa, there's, there's power in this book. There's live current electricity in this book that will shock you into life. And how we read this Bible is really important. Because if you come to it trying to find out, well, what are all the things that I need to do? Who am I supposed to be? You'll, you'll end up getting pretty frustrated. But if you come to this book and say, who, who is Jesus? Who's God? Because so often, we, everything we do, we, every story we come across, we're always trying to interpret it in terms of our own story. We're trying to make, it, make sense of it from our own perspective, because that's how we're trained to think all the time. We live in this very self-centered, narcissistic world. We're, we, we're always told to put ourselves at the center of everything. But with, with the Bible, you come to it with, with God at the center. And sure, you can find yourself in this story but really it's all about it's all about Jesus 
It's all about who he is. He's, he's the center of this story. See, the Bible comes to us as one great, big, powerful story with the central theme at its heart is Jesus. He tells a story of his wonderful redemption plan that he's been working out and then his plan now to, for, to bring transformation to the world and one day our eventual glorification with him forever. See, Jesus is, he's, as Alec Matea put it, he's the climax as well as the substance and center of the whole. This book is all about him. And Jesus said that himself. This isn't just some kind of myth that we've made up in more recent years or some lie that his disciples concocted. Jesus said in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in, in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. That's what Jesus said. You search the scriptures looking for answers and trying to make sense of the world. But yeah, it's, it, the, the scriptures all tell the story of Jesus and who he is. Of his wonderful, powerful good news. I'm going to read just a little passage from that book I mentioned to you at the start. Unbreakable. It's, um, it's a little bit of a long passage, but it will do you good as I read it. He says this, the Bible isn't about you, it's about him, it's about Jesus. See, Jesus is the new Adam who passed his garden test by submitting to the will of the Father. He crushed the snake and gave life to the dead rather than death to the living. Jesus is the new Eve, the ancestor of all new life, through whom the promised rescue finally comes about. Jesus is the new Abel, whose blood announces that family feuds, murder and death are on the way out, and that subsequent generations will be acquitted rather than condemned. Jesus is the new Enoch, who knows God, who walks with him, and is not subject to the power of the grave. Jesus is the new Noah, who finds favour in the eyes of the Lord, and in whom humans are rescued from the judgment they deserve. Jesus is the new Abraham who trusts God, leaves his homeland to start a new nation and ends up inheriting the world with his galaxy of descendants. Jesus is the new Isaac, the miraculous child offered as a sacrifice out of obedience to God and rescued from death when all seemed lost. Jesus is the new Jacob who saw heaven opened, received the promises, wrestled with God and commissioned 12 men to bless the nations. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, praised by his brothers and victorious over his enemies, to whom the whole world brings tribute and obedience. Jesus is the new Joseph, the beloved son, who is sold for the price of a slave, abandoned and left for dead, but who remains faithful and then gets lighted up, lifted up to the right hand of the king of the world. And that's just in the book of Genesis. That's just the very first book of the Bible. And you read through it and think, Jesus is all over this book. He's right at the center of this wonderful story, this wonderful good news for us. And this is, this is a key value for us as a, as a church. This is why we get up here every week and we talk down a camera at you from the Bible. Sometimes, maybe that feels a bit weird. 30 minutes of someone just 
you know, having a go at you from the Bible. That's not what we're trying to do. See, preaching's important. Because all the time you're being preached at. All the time. You're being told what to think, what to do, what you can't do. The world around us all the time increasingly is giving you all sorts of values to live by. You're being preached at every day. So why not 30 minutes on a Sunday to open up this book and to receive the words of eternal life? And not only do we try and speak to you every Sunday, preach from the Bible, we want to tell you about Jesus. When we preach the Bible, we're not giving you a list of things to do. This isn't self-help. This isn't some, some morals to sort of fix your life. We want you to go away, as the disciples do in this story, with your hearts burning, that you've met Jesus. Because if you want to change in your life, that's how you'll change. It's not about a five-step process. It's not about doing these certain tasks or things. All of that can be helpful. But first and foremost, change will happen when you meet Jesus in your heart. When your heart burns within you, knowing that he's alive. See, that's what happens in this story. They meet Jesus and their hearts burn. And when you see Jesus and his mission, and you see this at the very center of this book, it will change everything for you. It will change your whole perspective. Now, how does this, how does this happen in this story? Because this is important for us. How does it happen here? It says it's only, it's only when Jesus sits down at the table and he breaks bread with them that suddenly their eyes are opened. Suddenly they, they get it. Why, why at that point in the story... What's happening here? Well, what they're realizing is that in the Passover meal, as faithful Jews, they would have known that they were looking forward to the hope of a promised redemption. They're looking forward to a Messiah, a king who would come and rescue them and their people. And now they're realizing as Jesus breaks the bread, they see for the first time that the promised Messiah, their promised redemption has come that he's alive and they suddenly realize it the penny drops they say Jesus is the yes and amen to all the promises they see in this book suddenly comes alive to them I think another reason that their hearts were burning within them is because there's a there's a companion story to this story that Luke who wrote this gospel he also wrote the book of Acts if you turn to the book of Acts in chapter 8 you can find this really it's a very similar story to this, where Philip, who's one of Jesus' followers, one of the starters of some of the early churches, he suddenly encounters this Ethiopian on this journey. And they sit down together, just as Jesus did with his disciples, and they open up scriptures together. But in that story, the Ethiopian, he's reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip interprets that story to him. And that's a pretty key passage in showing that not only did there was the Messiah, the saviour, their king to come, but he was going to come as a suffering servant. And I'm pretty sure that when Jesus says in verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? I think at some point in this journey where Jesus is explaining the scriptures, I'm pretty sure he would have opened up 
Isaiah 53. Because he's already quoted from it. If you go back into Luke 22, he's already quoted from Isaiah 53. Let me read a little bit of it to you. It says from Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus' death and resurrection. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that Isaiah 53 tells the story of this great king who is going to rescue his people by becoming a suffering servant who will bear and carry their sin, who will take the wrath of God upon himself, who was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. I think on this, on this afternoon, their hearts burned within them because they saw not only was he there, the promised king who was going to come, that he'd suffered and died to take all of their sin upon himself. And most wonderfully, he's not only just this suffering Messiah, he's one who's come near to us. Just in the same way that they get, got to walk with him on this journey on the road to Emmaus. Now in the Holy Spirit, you get to have him walking with you every day. Because you might read this story and think, well, if Jesus, if Jesus came on a journey with me and, and opened up the Bible to me, yeah, I'd believe anything. Well, the Holy Spirit is his promised gift to you. He says in the book of John, it's better that I leave so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. See, now, now the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in your heart to bear witness to you that this book is wonderfully true and his life to you. And every time you open up this book, the Spirit works powerfully within you to speak words of truth, life, and to begin to make sense of Jesus' amazing love for you, the most important story in all of creation. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful good news. Thank you that we find in this book the words of eternal life that we find in this book all the answers that we've been seeking, all the real, the pick, the most important questions, we find their answers in your love for us. We find our own meaning and purpose in following you, in being disciples of you, in obediently submitting our lives to your will and your purpose, knowing that you're a father who loves us. I just pray right now as we sing songs of worship, Help us to respond in our hearts to you. I pray you'd speak to us and guide us now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.